0: wherever you
1: get your podcasts. The world is filled with many questions, such as, did giants exist? What is junk DNA? Does it mean that you're trash? Do you ever wonder if aliens have underwater bases in our oceans, and that's why there are so many UFO sightings off the coasts of islands all over the world? How serious even is climate change, and when should we start building our rafts? Hello, everyone. You may recognize me as Gabby from the History of Everything podcast. And my name is Bruna, and you don't recognize me from anything yet. Together, we're two scientists who explore the answers to these questions and many, many more in our new podcast, Mystery, Mystery of Everything. Everything, available everywhere you get your podcasts.
0: Over seven million different animals inhabit our planet. So, you know, that kind of highlights leading into the grizzly bear. Is it misunderstood? I don't know. What can they teach us?
1: Plant dispersion aspect. We have that as well. So it's one of the it's one of the only species where it affects pretty much everything, right? Like mm-hmm. plants yeah. and other
0: Many species are in crisis and need your help. Join the movement
1: at allcreaturespod.com.
0: Welcome to the All Creatures Podcast, and today I have a special guest. Hello, Xander. Hey. Hi. Hi, you, your mommy said you were going to do the podcast with me today. Mhm. Right? You're going to you, you know all about grizzly bears. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What do you know about grizzly bears? Um, they hibernate. They no, they don't. Do they? <laughs> How long do they hibernate for? I don't know. Half the year. Mm-hmm. Half their lives, right? Long time, huh? When it's cold, do you hibernate? No. You don't hibernate. <laughs> Your mommy wishes you'd hibernate sometimes, huh? Yeah. <laughs> no. What else do you know about grizzly bears? Um, they're they're brown. Yeah? Pretty big, right? Yes. Yeah. Have you seen a grizzly bear? No. No. They don't live in your backyard, huh?
1: No.
0: Not in Florida. No way. No way. They're up north, huh? <laughs>
1: mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. What do grizzly bears like to eat? Uh, meat. Meat. They do, huh? What else? Um, you like it, right? Uh, hmm They eat some berries? hmm Do you think a grizzly bear would eat an apple? No. Yeah, they love apples. Are you kidding me? They do. Isn't that crazy? They like apples. Grizzly bears eat lots of things. They like berries, worms. Do you like worms? No. Not to eat, no, huh? In the backyard? Do you go digging? <laughs> now, are grizzly bears related to dinosaurs? Because we always talk about you, Xander, and you're our dinosaur expert. So They're not related to dinosaurs. They're not? No. No, not at all, huh? What's your favorite dinosaur? Um, I don't know. I have all of the dinosaurs. You like all the time di- your mommy tells me all the time that you always teach her all about dinosaurs. So we want you to keep keep learning about dinosaurs, okay? Okay. Now, before you go, can you roar like a bear? Like a grizzly bear? Roar. <laughs> That's pretty good. That's pretty good. Alright. <laughs> well, thank you for coming back. We're gonna do squirrels soon. I'm promising you. We just mentioned it. We're gonna do squirrels very soon, okay? Okay. Okay, Xander. Thank you. Bye bye. Welcome back to the All Creatures Podcast, Angie.
1: Hello, Chris.
0: <laughs> I love Xander. Xander, I, uh, just in a year or two, Xander's just going to replace you. I'm just going to have him replace you. <laughs> replace me. How about that?
1: Oh, uh, well, well, it'll be all three of us on air. Well, okay, maybe we'll yeah. even add his dad, John, in too, since he's one of our special guests all the time.
0: <laughs> every now and then, every now and then.
1: Yes, Chris. I'm definitely a proud mama bear, of my little cub. Or, to speak a little more scientifically, I'm a proud mama sow, right? True. Yeah, true. female bears are sows, which I thought yes. that was very interesting, learning about yeah. that. Males are boars. And babies are still cubs. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, they're still cubs. And they're so cute. They're so cute. So the grizzly bear this week, we, we kind of hinted at it the last couple weeks. We have a huge interview on Thursday. So that's what's prompting this. And that's with author Bryce Andrews. It just was such a treat. Well, I mean, it's just, when you get these these interviews, it's just so interesting to get different perspectives. He wrote the book, Down from the Mountain, The Life and Death of a Grizzly Bear. And this has been in the works for a while. Just this book, and, and you know, listen to the interview on Thursday, it really goes into the human-wildlife conflict. And what I loved about it, I mean, the story's tragic, so I don't love it, but... What I really enjoyed about the book is it brought it home to here in the United States because we always think it's a, it's someone else's problem when, no, it, it it's in California where I'm at, it's a problem. Coyotes and cougars and where you are in Florida. Oh, Florida you know, black
1: bear, Florida
0: yeah. cougar. S- mm-hmm. Snakes, snakes, turtles, alligators, human wildlife conflict. So, so it is everywhere and it's just the book is just so well written. I read it in two nights. Just a really insightful interview and, and I hope you enjoy it. Now, just some housekeeping before we get rolling on grizzly bears, because we have a lot to cover tonight. Just a fun species to talk about. Again, for last week, we talked about our Patreon. Angie and I are really serious about it now. We kind of really launched it last week. We put out our first episode, Cheetah. So if you are interested to learn more about Cheetahs, it's the episodes are just as well done as this one. You know, it's the, it's the same content, just a different species. So thank you, Katie, Debbie, Alicia, Maureen, John. Angie's going to throw some money in there.
1: My mom. <laughs> Your mom.
0: So, you know, those are some of just our latest Patreon subscribers. And, you know, thank you uh, for helping us out. Angie and I are going to record conservation news here this week. I've just been watching Our Planet on Netflix. I have a lot to say about that, yeah, especially the whole thing with the walrus controversy, which isn't a controversy. Anyways. And then just again, 25% of all funds will be given to a conservation organization of the month. So other podcasts do not do that. We are definitely doing that. We want to give back. Then just really quickly, if you can continue to keep sharing the stuff, our, our content on Facebook, on Instagram, All Creatures Podcast, we love you. And if you haven't given us a review on iTunes, if you can just take two minutes, log into your iTunes account, leave us a review. That's really going to help us push us into the top 100. (laughs) Yes, please. Please. If you don't like us, just turn it off. But we're inching towards the top 100 of all science podcasts, and those reviews help push us there. So thank you. Thank you so much. It's just so amazing. And we're going to talk about grizzly bears today. Going back.
1: Yeah, it's going to be a great pod. Hopefully, you'll learn a lot, uh, especially... For our listeners in North America to a lot of times we, even in the podcast, we turn overseas and talk about the big five in Africa, mm-hmm. or we've recently did a huge promotion on tiger conservation and awareness, and of course, physiology uh, the last month or so. But it's very interesting for me to turn our attentions back to grizzlies, which are among the largest living carnivores here in the United States or in in Canada, Mm -hmm. North America. and It was interesting. I was talking with John about how we're trying to potentially years from now save our pennies and maybe plan a dream trip to Africa and take our Mm -hmm. children so they can see these things. And I looked at him and I'm like, I have never even been to Yellowstone.
0: Yeah, I know. I know. I've been to
1: Glacier National and saw a black bear, but I've never seen any grizzlies, which are also known as a North American brown bear. And we'll, and we'll touch more on the different subspecies of brown bears uh, throughout the pod. But yeah, Chris, I I mean, I think I, I we need a road trip, buddy.
0: We absolutely do. And I just last week, you know, I was near you in, when I was in Atlanta and I was meeting with some of my sister's coworkers and I was talking to Tom And he grew up in Alaska and he was talking about Denali and the Denali National Park and how I need to go up there. Cause we were talking about the podcast and things that he was doing in, in the movie industry. And, and he's like, you need to get up to Denali. And I, and Tom's kind of a big wig. I'm just going to leave his name as Tom, but I'm like, okay, Tom, you know, you get me a movie or a TV show. We'll go together. He's like, deal. So we'll go to Denali National Park, me and Angie, John and both our families. Uh, to go up there and visit, but he's like, you, the bears are everywhere. You know, you can just right. see them, mm-hmm. you know, the mm-hmm. grizzly bears. They are an iconic species, you know, and, and, and it, there's going to be some interesting facts. I think I'm going to, I have a fact that I think is going to blow you away when I get there. We'll see. I'll see your Ooh. reaction. It's, it's, okay. it, it's a good one. It's a good one. So going back to bears, our last episode, Angie, was 80, roughly 79 episodes ago, official episodes. It was episode nine, polar bears. So that's the last, uh, bear that we covered that's a true bear and that's what john would say now a few episodes ago we covered john's favorite little cuddly black and white not really a true bear panda, bear panda bears so you know here we go another bear this one close to home for some of us now some people might be confused what's the difference between a brown bear or a grizzly bear right you know because growing up i used to always think about i was that. yeah yeah it's basically grizzlies are just a subspecies of brown bear. So they are a brown bear. They're just a subspecies. And going back, oh, geez, two pods ago or three pods ago, we talked about the debate in science of species versus... tigers, really. Species versus subspecies. Why is there debate in science? And DNA is really remapping a lot of this. So today, you know, with genetic testing generally recognize that there's 15 subspecies of brown bear and grizzly bear is one of those. Now in North America, there are two species of brown bear and that is the grizzly bear, what we think of, and then the Kodiak bear on Kodiak Island off Alaska. Okay. And they got isolated thousands of years ago. Now, those are the massive, massive brown bears just based on diet and where they live. They get very big. But you have brown bears all over the world, Angie. All over the world, Northern Hemisphere. It's all across Asia, parts of Europe, Scandinavia, Turkey.
1: China, Japan, Korea.
0: Yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah. Well,
1: Chris, according to the IUCN, there are about 110,000 mature individuals of brown bears in 44 different locations. So we're focusing today on the grizzly, North America, but numerous other locations in Asia and mm-hmm. Europe. But I think what's really important to highlight is that brown bear numbers have dropped dramatically mm-hmm. since the turn of the century. Mm-hmm. And basically they're down to 2% of their former range right. here in North America.
0: Yeah. It's, yeah, they've taken a massive hit, massive hit and due, due to human.
1: Yes. Due to logging, mining, road constructions, resorts. Golf courses, you name it. Uh, we've encroached on their habitat. And of course, as Chris mentioned earlier in the pod, then there's a human wildlife conflict. And, and basically grizzly numbers are estimated to be around a thousand to fifteen hundred in the United mm-hmm. States. And then when you add in Canada and Alaska, we're talking somewhere maybe around 25,000 to 30,000 mm-hmm, mm-hmm. are numbers that I was reading. So the rest are all in Eurasia, if you will. Uh, they think maybe estimates are about 70 to 100,000. So. And that's across just the
0: Northern hemisphere. That's, it's, it's, that's,
1: that's the whole world. That's the whole,
0: that's all of it.
1: 44 locations. I mean, that's what how I kind of had to map it out in my brain is like, okay, 44 locations total Mm -hmm. and then only 110,000. Right. That's not very many no, at all. No,
0: and I'm I'm going to tell you, you once I get to evolution where where there used to be you're, you'll be blown away. They definitely have suffered uh, greatly in the last hundred years as a predator species. Like most of our mega carnivores, I think have all suffered tremendously, and bears are just really the most recent because the expansion into North America has only happened really in the last couple hundred years. You know, this wasn't, we're not talking, you know, American Indians or Native Amer- Native Americans that came over thousands and thousands of years ago. They lived with nature, you know. These are the ones when the Europeans came in and just started devastating the landscape. And then you want to stay tuned because at the end of today's pod, I'm going to talk about what you should do if you ever encounter a grizzly or, or any bear, for that matter, in the
1: wild. Well, and Chris, to add to that, I think one of the common things to think with our fight or flight is to run. So no. Chris and I will go over if that's a no, good strategy no, or not. No. Uh, can you outrun? No. Like, even if you are Usain Bolt, no, can you no, outrun a bear? No,
0: no. I'll just <laughs> oh, say, you're, I'll just, you're
1: away the answer. no, there's other things Maybe. you can we'll do at that.
0: the end, but no, do not, I just, anybody listening right now, do not run from a bear. They will catch you it, before you can blink. <laughs> they're on top of you. They are so fast, <laughs> or climb a so tree. quick. Yeah.
1: But yeah, stick with us. Yeah, I, I want to bust some bear myths. Besides their speed and climbing ability, I have several other bear myths that I'd like to bust. That, as Chris mentioned, may help you survive should you find yes, one. Yes, yes,
0: yes. And, and and I got some statistics too. You know, are they more dangerous than cows? How about that? We've established twenty-something people in the United States each year are killed by cows. No joke. That is a fact. So are bears more deadly? We'll find out. All right. Before we jump into description, Angie, and kind of in the, in the physical and the behavior reproduction, I've really, each week, I want to start just kind of highlighting some of this. You know, what is really the conflict? What is really, because we, you and I go back and forth. We talk about climate change. We talk about all these different issues facing all these different species.
1: I mean, you kind of talk about it. I sit back <laughs> you, and sip on my coffee. You,
0: you jump in every time. Every <laughs> no, time you I jump do, in. I do. So, you know, this human wildlife conflict, and I think that's why Bryce Andrews book is just amazing because it's told so well and you see it. Like I, I physically felt like I was walking in his footsteps in that book, reading his story and how he was trying to help uh, reduce this human wildlife conflict. So again, it's not, someone else's problem it's our problem i see it here in california we have coyotes running in the ur- urban areas you know taking pets and people are upset and they're like can't we kill the coyotes can we get rid of them and city councilors are like no you know so we see this you know wherever we live in the world so some of the things that are really putting pressure on wildlife we've talked about poaching you know self defense Okay, somebody, it's either me or the animal. I, I get that, right? But again, that's right. that's a conflict. Uh, retaliation. Common throughout the world is going on here in the United States. For killing a predator kills livestock, well, the farmer goes out and shoots the predator. You know, we see it with wolves. We see it with bears, cougars, other things. Or you go to other parts of the world, my favorite elephants, they go raid crops. And there's conflict there. And the farmers are losing their, their livelihood or their, what they need to live. It's not just, you know, making money, which we see here in the states. Angie, that's your garden. That's what your family depends on.
1: Right. Right. Yeah. I think that's where I think you brought up a good point about putting yourself in somebody else's shoes, like to, you know, walk a mile in somebody else's shoes to really understand how intense and complicated this conflict is. It is. It really is. Cause it's one thing to just sit in your comfy suburbium home and be like, oh, okay, I won't let my cat fluffy out cause mm-hmm.
0: there's coyotes. Coyotes, Yeah,
1: And, and that's, that's a real issue. And, and, uh, we keep our cats indoors mm-hmm. for that very reason. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. For the most part, except for Bear Bear sometimes. She's
0: naughty. <laughs> she's a bear.
1: <laughs> there's always that one yeah, cat. No. Uh, but I think she could hold her own against a coyote yeah, anyways. Yeah. Uh, but the, but it's a totally different story to have. Um, money on the line, mm-hmm. so that's going to be what's a big issue here in the United States. Livestock money, about people generating income, and then overseas, it's not only income; it is survival, livelihood of like, yeah. will I eat tonight yeah. or won't I?
0: Yeah, survival. So that's yeah. I mean that uh, that is why this is a complex issue, and it's and that's the thing why I think if people can start getting a global view of what's going on out there and see all these pressures. That's why there is no silver bullet to conservation. I really wish there was, you know, but you add this to climate change or deforestation or, you know, palm oil exploitation or, you know, stealing animals, not only poaching, but stealing animals as pets. You know, there's there's just multiple pressures on multiple species. And one of the things just, if you didn't catch it in Tiger's part two towards the end because if you couldn't take two hours plus of tigers, which I don't know why, they're pretty amazing. Yeah.
1: And if you haven't, you should do it. Yeah. Their behavior is amazing.
0: Yeah. And we talk about the ecological benefits. This is a scientific study that's published. So science means it's been peer reviewed. We're going to talk about that in a future pod, you know, what exactly that means. But it's... It, When you have scientific data, you know, equaling facts and you evidence, how about that evidence towards a conclusion? So in this paper, they were talking about the benefits of tigers, and not only protecting livestock losses or reducing it, but also crop losses. So in India, they're finding that having tigers in the environment actually benefits the farmers rather than not. Then the other thing we talked about, which we have to, and one of our friends, uh, Julie, uh, B from Florida, she posted on Facebook about, she really wants us to discuss more the benefits of wolves in Yellowstone. Right. And we've, we've talked about that and how the environment, the, the habitat was affected by the loss of predators. And then when they brought them back in, how it changed
1: the landscape. So change everything yeah. from the streams to the, it was crazy. Yeah. yeah.
0: Other populations of animals boomed. So, there's a lot of complex issues. These are things we're going to be talking about briefly each week in a species. We'll talk more in conservation news and in other aspects on Instagram, things like that, and on Facebook. So you join our Facebook group. We're starting to have discussions there, not just our page, but our group where you can chime in. I will say before we move on, countries like Nepal are leading the way in protecting native wildlife. And I really want to investigate more of this and highlight more of their programs, and we will.
1: Sounds like a field trip. Yeah, I
0: know. Oh, God, that's one. I I would love to 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 go go, there. One of my
1: best friends, Cassie, studied broadband Uh, and fell in love and it's been on my bucket list ever since. But
0: news coming out in Nepal is the locals have bought into the message. They're protecting their their native wildlife. And so snow leopards are going up. Tigers are going up. They have elephants. Other things are are all improving because the populace has bought into this and they're seeing benefits. So we're going to talk more about that as we go. So, you know, that kind of highlights leading into the grizzly bear. Is it misunderstood? I don't know. You know, we're going to talk about it. But what a grizzly bear looks like, you know, it's a big bear. It's dark brown to light tan. I love this description. They're guard hairs. So that, that those guard hairs give them that grizzled appearance, right? That's kind of what alludes to their name.
1: Yeah, yeah. Also, it's also thought too that maybe grizzly means fear-inspiring or gruesome mm. mm-hmm. as well, and definitely their scientific name reflects.
0: Yes, <laughs> there we'll get there.
1: <laughs> awe-inspiring yes. nature, yes,
0: and fear. I think it's fear, you know, which ugh, fear makes people do stupid things.
1: But when you look at a grizzly, they are awe-inspiring, big. We'll talk about their size in a second, but they also have this pronounced hump that appears on their mm-hmm. shoulders. Mm-hmm. And the hump is a really good way to distinguish a grizzly bear from a black bear. Yes. As black bears don't have this hump. Obviously, they're probably black as well. Um, But there is,
0: real quick, there is like, it's weird because there are black bears that are kind of a lighter brown. So it's like, it's crazy. So I think you make a great point to tell the difference is the hump's the real big one, right? That's the big, I mean, Mm -hmm. there's differences in face and things like that, but.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, a grizzly bear is also identified by its like dished in profile, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, with a shorter face. And of course, bears have those cute, ears. super cute, rounded ears. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, where a black bear has more of a straighter face very much. and longer ears. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and then a grizzly bear also can be identified by their rump. And for non-animal people, that's their hind end, <laughs> which is lower, like at the hip area. Uh, lower than its shoulders. So it sinks down, it's down lower. Where in a black bear, the bear's rump is higher up. And of course, a grizzly bear can always be distinguished by their long front claws.
0: Oh my God, Angie.
1: And when I say long, they're huge. Like everyone now, unless you're driving, hold up your hand and look at your fingers and that length plus then some. Yeah. Are the claws?
0: Just the claws, the like nail
1: part. Yeah, non
0: retractable <laughs> claws. I and, and I and I briefly four
1: inches. Yeah, four inches. Four
0: inches. I or ten centimeters. And I talked to Bryce about this really quickly when I was, you know, at a accredited zoo and standing across in the in the back part of the exhibit, where one of the grizzlies was standing right there, and literally probably two three feet away, you know. And, and I had bars that she couldn't reach through, but she was just looking at me drooling and those claws are what I just was like oh my gosh and talk about fear like I was like whoa what you could do to me <laughs> those claws now, I love them they're, they're cuddly you know you want to cuddle with them but don't I'm just saying you know I was respectful staring at her being that close to a grizzly bear I was like whoa whoa I think her name was Dakota so um, now the males can get up to 8 feet tall or 2.5 meters weigh up to 800 pounds it's like kind of the bigger yes. end. You saw some averages a little bit less, you know, 350 mm-hmm. kilograms. I saw females, four to 500 pounds, 200 kilograms, and they stand about six and a half feet tall, about my height, uh, two meters. Well,
1: that's what's really impressive is a lot of the video footage I've been reviewing the past couple days is they're impressive walking and mm-hmm. sauntering and all that. The, uh, their activity we'll talk to about when we get to behavior. But when they stand up oh, yeah. on their hind legs to smell – whatever they're doing, to mark their territory, their claws, or whatever they're doing, Mm -hmm. that is intensive and (laughs) impressive and (laughs) awe-inspiring and definitely makes the hair on the back of your neck stand up, for sure.
0: They're definitely intimidating. They're definitely intimidating.
1: And I'm typically not from bear country, being originally from Michigan, and then now being uh, residing in Florida – we do have black bear and some of the central Florida regions and there's smaller. Uh, I still wouldn't want to come across one, no. especially a mother with cubs, mm-hmm. but I learned a lot hiking back at Glacier National with some of my, with some of my friends that were rangers there and gave me lots of ways to help protect myself mm-hmm. as I was hiking. Mm-hmm. And, but I just never really, I think I was young. I think when you're mm-hmm. your twenties, you're just. Love whatever 20 year olds yeah. out there. Yeah. <laughs> whatever it, the information goes in yeah. and you just think you're so cool or whatever. Yeah. And it just is like, okay. And so, but we did, we we were, we were singing mm-hmm. bear songs and mm-hmm. talking the whole time. And wow. I think we had walking sticks or we banging on things. We were being loud and obnoxious. So they would stay away from us, which I think most bears probably would stay away from they a group do. of young 20 year olds.
0: They do. They do. They, <laughs> they do. They, they do. That's the thing we'll get to. it. When we get to conflicts. But yeah, you're right. They, they, they don't want to be near us generally. Now, yeah. If there's arving okay. or something like that. Then that's a different story. But
1: yeah, but I, I just don't have the experience that probably say some of our friends that are in Alaska or Jonathan in Columbia. Uh,
0: shout out to Jonathan. Exactly, Jonathan's just, back from British Columbia, so he's probably got some good bear stories. Maybe.
1: Yeah, uh, I I just I I don't have I don't yeah I, it's just very new to me, and I always think of these large large carnivores is being far off in a distant place like Africa, but yeah, we could go to Yellowstone and potentially see somewhere with your friend, Tom uh, and Denali and yeah. see some. Yeah. So it is, they're not, and they're not personally in my backyard, but it does make me want to perhaps maybe learn more about my Florida, my local Florida black bear on mm-hmm. uh, from a distance, right? That's the right. thing with wildlife. You always, whether it's a large carnivore or even a, something small, you want to, Give it it's the respect it deserves and stay, yes. look at it from a, view it from a distance. Very much. So, but yeah, Very just much. man, those, those grizzlies on the YouTube videos or the National Geographic videos I was watching standing up. We'll put some on our show notes for you to check out. Impressive.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, Breath ta- and
1: he, literally breathtaking. Yeah. Like you see that and you stop breathing for a second.
0: <laughs> no. And so, like the Kodiak bears can get up to, you know, a ton, stand 10 feet tall. And there have been, grizzly bears that big that have been close to that, but generally not as huge. But even when you take the average grizzly bear, they're huge. 800 pounds is nothing to sneeze at. That is a massive animal. That is all muscle, right? Now, looking at their range, Angie, this is, again, in how you kind of led off a little bit, talking about the decimation of bear populations. You look at their historic range, and then you look at their current range, and it really breaks your heart. These are animals that stretch down into Mexico. My home state of California, the grizzly bear, the California grizzly bear is on our flag. And that last bear sighted in California a grizzly bear was 1920s. So they've been wow. gone for a hundred years. They, you know, they were ex- pushed out of Texas by 1890 all the way up through the Rockies to where today in the United States, You have a small population creeping into Washington state. Most of them are in Montana, some in Idaho. So shout out to Corbin up there, you know, uh, has grizzlies in his home state. And then, like you said, Yellowstone. So you have some of those in Wyoming into Montana. That's where they are in the United States. Now, through Western Canada, northern parts of Canada, they're there. And then obviously all throughout Alaska. But this was a bear that pretty much dominated the western half of the United States up until, you know, 50 to 100 years ago. And now they've been completely eradicated, you know, wiped out.
1: And, And it's crazy, too, because when we talk about ranges, historically, their home ranges can be as large as 2,600 square kilometers. But on average, they're anywhere from 100 to 400. And of course, males are going to have bigger home ranges than females, mm-hmm. but that's a lot of land. And when we think about the human wildlife or human bear conflict, as you mentioned, is since they do need a lot of square footage to to roam and be bears, be happy bears, do what bears need to do, uh, pretty much eat and breed and mm-hmm. hibernate, <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, we need to... Protect them. They, they need a lot of room. And that's what the problem is, is unfortunately us people, we need a lot of room too, right?
0: Right. Yeah. yeah. And we
1: keep building and building further, further and deeper into the woods. Well, when you look at, we bump, that's when we bump into them and then we blame them that they're the problem, right? I know.
0: I know. And you know, even the brown bear range, you know, across the world has been decimated. They used to be all throughout Europe, somewhere else special. I'm going to tell you about and reaching down into India you know, that far South, mm-hmm. but now they're pushed into there's pockets in the, in South, you know, middle, not the middle East, yeah, the middle East area, I guess. And then, you know, Afghanistan, Kazakhstan, those areas, but mostly, most of them are up in Russia, you know, and then up into Norway, Sweden, and Finland. So their, their range has been decimated too. and, Why you should care. I mean, you know, we're telling the same story with these apex predators, you know, and even it was funny with Xander in the opening. He's like, what do they eat? He's like, ah, meat. It's true. They do eat meat, which is important.
1: Oh, stay tuned, though. There's some interesting stuff they eat coming up.
0: I know. I know. But, you know, it's they do help keep other populations in check, killing sick or injured. He
1: didn't answer that they're omnivores. He knows better.
0: He does. I know. He, he knows. He was excited. He was excited. He's excited to be on video and talk.
1: Uh, yeah. That kid's you know, that's, what I've re- that's what I've realized. I think we, when he's uh, interviewing, he he just likes to look at himself in the video. Yeah,
0: he's, I know. I know. He doesn't, he
1: doesn't get a lot of screen time. So he sees himself talking. And you, of course, you're yeah. fun to look at. And uh, so he's just kind of mesmerized. So like, hey. I think maybe next time I'll, I'll take that down and then he can really focus. But, yeah. <laughs> well, he just- I learned I learned before the episode. And speaking of Xander too, he told me something really fascinating that I didn't even know that he learned no in way. one of his – probably in Wild Kratz, Gosh, I love mm-hmm. that show. Mm-hmm. If you have mm-hmm. little kids, it's pretty great. Um, But he told me that there is an animal that a grizzly will run from. Oh, okay. Just, mm-hmm. So okay. we'll cover that when we get to behavior. And, Maybe and then I was like, no I'm way. Pr- and then, of course, John was like, yep, he's right. I mean, John knows everything. So okay, John predicting- is my Google – when it comes to animals,
0: <laughs> I love how John chimes and in pronouncing words in clearly. Yeah, what was the last
1: week or a few weeks I ago? Cockapony?
0: Yeah, I can remember cock-a-fony. that one.
1: But it's not yeah. cockapony. It's no. ca- 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 cafafody. <laughs> <laughs> Edit this, out. Edit this no. out. No,
0: no, it's cockapony. No, lame. it's totally not. It's
1: totally not. I know. I, gosh, I don't, clearly I didn't even remember. Uh you, Yeah, it, it, don't, it, don't, just yeah. like just like Angie when I was twenty, the forty year old Angie. Things go in one ear and out the other when John tells them to me.
0: People tell us on social media what the heck it is. Because <laughs> we obviously can't pronounce it. Oh my gosh. Um, yeah, so they're great. Bears are great.
1: Bears are great. And a no, podcast.
0: There we go. Yeah. So, no, yeah, so what are some of the other things? Yeah. What's the other things? They are,
1: about? okay. Well, they're, we just talked about how the, Xander should have said they're omnivores. They're, they eat meat, but uh, they are also, known to eat berries and nuts and things like that. So they're an important apex predator, but they're also really important seed disperser in local Mm -hmm. ecosystems. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. it's just something that people probably wouldn't think of. I mean, if we wipe them out, we're going to have issues from the prey predator aspect, but then from a seed and plant dispersion aspect, we have that as well. So it's one of the it's one of the only species where it affects pretty much everything, right? Like Mm -hmm, plants and other animals. So total, we're talking about total ecosystem cacophony. Yeah, cacophony. (laughs) Maybe I said it right, maybe not. So, but the other thing too is here here locally in the U.S., brown bears help fuel ecotourism, especially in Yellowstone National Park, Wyoming, and other parts of Alaska. And fun fact, as you mentioned, they obviously are on California's state flag, although they're extinct from California. But they have been beloved by, of course, Native American cultures, historically very sim- uh, symbolic. But interestingly enough, an explorer named Zebulon Pike decided to gift President Thomas Jefferson two grizzly mm-hmm. cubs in 1807 probably because they're cute and adorable yeah. when they're that little. And Jefferson, so the story goes, reluctantly kept them in a cage near the entrance to the White House, but then he later regifted them, when they were still cubs even, to a museum curator. So, and I guess, and then, so the story goes, unfortunately, one of them was aggressive and ended up being killed, and I don't know what happened yeah. to everyone. So, yeah, one. yeah. Obviously, not a good pet choice, um, no, and no. our one of our forefathers realized that, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, and even you know the in the zoo episode we did with Corbin Maxi talking about the evolution of zoos. I mean, back then, you know, in the sixteen hundreds, seventeen hundreds, eighteen hundreds, nineteen hundreds, people loved animals and really thought that we had a moral obligation to treat them nicely. Sure. You know, so it wasn't just oh they're in a cage and we poke them, which you know that's how people view it, but they, you know, I'm sure he, he had some moral moral obligation or moral objection sure. to keeping them in cages outside the White House. And he's like, what the heck? This is not natural. So, yeah, it's yeah, lovely animals that are uh, really misunderstood. Jumping quickly to evolution, I mean, we've covered this in two bear species, so I don't need to rehash a lot of it. You know, 15 subspecies But you can't right now. control yourself. <laughs> I know. Here we go. <laughs> Three hours later. And, kids, that's how the, oh, the grizzly bear came to be. No. So, you know, just kind of a, a quick review. Uh, the 15 subspecies of brown bear are, and brown bear's scientific name is Ursus arctos. And these, again, range from North America into Asia. And here's my fun fact, Angie. Yay.
1: I put my seatbelt on.
0: Did you know there was a brown bear? It's called the Atlas Brown Bear. So I'm going to pick your brain and say, where is that? Where's the Atlas mountain range? I know. I can see it in your face. I got you stumped. How about this? I-
1: I love Jeopardy right now. There's this this uh, Jeopardy guy that's love- like winning
0: 10 million dollars. He
1: is winning season. and and I just I had a moment uh a day or so ago and I was like, "Man, I miss my dad. I miss him every day anyways." Yeah. Yeah. But he was so good at Jeopardy. Mm-hmm. He would just be reading the newspaper, cooking dinner, and just yell out the answer. As I'm sitting there <laughs> trying to watch it and actually get the answer right. He'd half listen and just and get it. And so with this Jeopardy, he'd be disappointed in me cuz Atlas I I thought maybe like, okay. I thought, no, no, I, I, if I had to guess, I thought maybe like Iran or Greece nope. were kind of come No, 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 okay. Jeez. Let me Sargent. give you,
0: let me give you hints. And sorry, folks. This is just me having fun with Angie. It, yeah, these are rare me. moments. Okay. Nubian, Somali, Atlas, Africa, wild asses. Where was the Atlas wild ass from? Morocco. Uh,
1: Ethiopia? Morocco?
0: No, Morocco. Remember? Morocco. You had the Atlas wild ass in that no, region of Africa, that. the Nubian wild ass in the middle, and the Somali That's, on the...
1: Somali are okay, like the Ethiopia, yeah. Right, those were okay. the three
0: wild asses. There was an Atlas brown bear. There was brown bears in Africa.
1: What? The,
0: there is a I crazy have fact. Jesus. I know, but there, it, it was in Libya and Morocco. And they only, so the Atlas wild ass went extinct in the 1350s.
1: Yeah, I don't, this one I don't remember that one. I remember the Nubian no. and the, um, yeah. and the small, of course. Hmm.
0: Okay. So went extinct in the 1890s. That's so, so just cool, 130 though. years ago, there was brown bears in Africa.
1: That's like, nuts. Oh, are
0: you kidding me? Are you kidding me? That's, huh. an, yeah, it's insane. That's insane that they were there. Great fact, I,
1: I, Chris. That you, yeah. you get a star of the day for that fact.
0: Yeah, okay. You're making done. me look
1: like a fool on, on air. am <laughs> totally like worth
0: it, to I didn't no. know that. I know where the Atlas Mountains are because I'm a geography nerd. Oh, sure, but...
1: sure, sure. If it was on oh, Je- we'll, we'll have to play Jeopardy one-on-one. Right. Uh, All I have, right. the, I have a couple categories I can rock. Not Oh, me.
0: you would kill me on, yeah, <laughs> many. All right. Geography? No, I know my geography because I, yeah, I go to Google Earth. I, I, I... well,
1: you're the history buff guy, which is why uh, we love yeah. evolution or you love evolution so much. Um, and I like it too. We actually had a, yeah. Discussion over dinner about evolution, trying to explain that to a uh, five-year-old. Five and,
0: thir- and two-year-old?
1: <laughs> well, Zach was out. He was like, whatever, okay. I'm out of no. here. I'm going to play Legos. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: Okay. And Sandra's like, okay.
1: Oh, he's like a million questions, a million yeah,
0: questions. Yeah, he's so great. I love your kids. Okay. So the scientific name is of grizzly bears, so, subspe- so subspecies of brown bear, Ursus arctos horribilis. Yes. Horrible. Like, come yes. on. That sucks. That's,
1: that's a terrible what the, name. I mean, that's what the explorers, I guess they saw it, and it's probably stood up on its hind feet, and they jotted that down, right?
0: Yeah. I would call it Cutis, or Stay Away From Us-is, or something. Or I don't
1: save know. Us.
0: <laughs> yes, S-S-is. So that's their scientific name, you know, just... So evolution, again, we we talked about it a couple of weeks ago in tigers. You had the myocids 60 million years ago. Bears came out 30 million years ago. Bears basically divided into three families or subfamilies. The real bears, Ursidae,
1: mm-hmm.
0: right? That's what John loves. Yes. Then you have the, the giant panda and the speck bear. <laughs> so they're not real bears. <laughs> 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 so we did the panda. I don't think John's never,
1: He's never worked with grizzlies. Uh, no, really? uh, no okay. I don't think he's worked with brown or blacks. Uh, okay, but okay. definitely polar bears and oh, yeah. sun bears. Yeah, he worked with sun bears. Yeah, sun bears. Many yes, yeah, yeah, really so we have cool. many bear species to cover. Sloth Spec bear. Bears. Oh my gosh, we have to put that on our list.
0: Yeah, That's sloth bears. Them. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. There's some good ones. Now they think brown bears came to the Americas about fifty thousand years ago. I did pull up a quick study. It was Nature, published in 2017. Again, for the folks that have been haven't listened to us that long, Nature's the number one scientific magazine. Science and Nature, the two best. Like they just. It's
1: like the Patriots currently, or uh, the Yankees. Yeah,
0: yeah, whatever top teams and anything. They're the best. The best of the best. Definitely best not best.
1: my. Unfortunately, not my Lions or Tigers from yeah, Michigan. Yeah,
0: no, 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 no. So this one was was interesting. They looked at gene flow, history of bears. So going back, you know, this all kind of diverged out 5 million years ago, all the current species of bears of real bear. The panda bear split off about 20 million years ago, and we've covered that.
1: They're special.
0: Um, yeah, and the speck bear uh, split off about 10 million years ago. So your black bears, you know, split off 3 million years ago roughly. And then sun bears, sloth bears, a little bit farther past that. The most interesting thing about this whole thing with evolution is just how closely related brown bears are with polar bears. And it's been in the last million years, probably 500,000 years ago, where polar bears went, and we covered this a long time ago, but broke off from the brown bears. And mm-hmm. went and survived and, and started to specialize living in the Arctic,
1: right. which
0: is going away. It's really sad. But anyways, that does lead to really quick hybridization, which I thought was cool because I've seen this popping in the news. Angie, I think as polar bears start to range further south due to, I mean, the, the sea ice is not lasting. We know that. It's a fact. This isn't debate you know, I and I cannot wait for conservation news. I have so much pent up about this <laughs> this debate.
1: It's been a while, right?
0: Yeah. Oh, there's this scientist that's just a hack. I called her out like two weeks ago or the penguin episode. I just uh oh, she's got me so fired up because I've looked at her history and it's just oh anyways, we'll get there. But there is some natural mating between brown bears or grizzlies and polar bears. Well, and and,
1: right, they're, like you said, they're closely re- related on the genetic tree, right. and yeah. if they are pushed further south and their numbers are declining, which mm-hmm. means and their resources are declining, so they're hungry mm-hmm. and not able to find mates. Mm-hmm. Sure, I'm sure if they bump into a grizzly, hey, you know, yeah,
0: yeah. It's, it's, the music's playing. You know, I'm a boy. You're a girl. It's this right type of season. And I'm more handsome because I'm big and tall. You know, I'm six five. No, hey, that's kidding. I'm not going there. But hey, you know what I mean. You know, yeah. nature calls, and they run into each other, and they mate, and they and they have offspring. Right. And the offspring they call them growlers, and they're actually fertile. I was like, are they fertile oh, or different. not? And they, yeah, yeah. Because What's their again, chromosome
1: I think, numbers, Chris, I, since pretty, you played Jeopardy with me, uh, 52. For both, they both have the same number? I don't know. Except ah, busted.
0: <laughs> no, they are the same, though. I know they're the same. Hold on. Oh,
1: they're the same. Okay.
0: They, they're, they are the same. The uh, the Spec Bear and Panda Bear are different. I know we, okay. we covered this before, mm-hmm.
1: so I will
0: give you an answer here in two seconds. I mean,
1: I definitely I don't like... know the answer, but I love that you don't know it either.
0: <laughs> uh, I do. I do. I do. I was close. It's 74.
1: Okay. That's not so close. The- <laughs> I guess you're playing at least as price is right rules you didn't go over so I'll give you hey, that.
0: I knew they were the same though. They're the same. Yes. 74 and Well, that's and how their
1: offspring can be fertile, right? I mean that's Yeah. Yeah. How that yeah, happens.
0: Because the chromosomes are the same and, and they're pretty Well, how many out,
1: are speculated to of these whatever you called them? A
0: small handful. small handful. They've only found a few small handful of this. It's not a normal occurrence. I mean, I think I think that polar bear's got a range pretty far south. Sure. You know, to, to run into a female grizzly. And it's usually the female, it's a male polar bear and a female grizzly is from what I read. It's not the other way around. It's not a, a male grizzly and a female polar bear. It's usually the female grizzly and a male polar bear. And she's like, whatever. I'm in heat. There's no guys around. Let's go. Sure. You know. And well, she's bringing mean, That's babies. the valid
1: point that you bring up is that, yeah, uh, yeah I mean, she has yeah. her season and, hey, and the receptive. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: So, Angie, I looked for, I couldn't really find anything cool on the tallest or smallest, uh, bear. We've already covered this one. Arctotherium, 10 feet tall, weighed 3,500 pounds from South America, just enormous, only died out say, a few that's hundred years cool. ago. Yeah, yeah. I still, I still think the elephant bird's the coolest thing I've found somewhere.
1: We've got to do, a uh, like the greatest, uh, the greatest hit. The greatest
0: of yeah. I know. Sixteen hundred pound chicken. I mean, come on! It stands ten feet tall. Imagine the thing chasing you. It's like I was just uh, with my, you know, with with my friend Julie and Sophia, and we were saw this exhibit with these tall birds, and I it just came up. I was like, they had these beautiful cranes, and they must have been like fifteen feet tall. And I'm like, just take the head off. Now look at it. Now imagine that bird. I started telling them about the elephant bird. I'm such a dork. (laughs) I'm starting. You are a dork, but we love you. Yes. Mm
1: -hmm. I
0: know. I am. I'm a dork. So. Grizzly bears live 15 to 20 years in the wild. The oldest under human care was 47, which is extremely rare to be that, wow. that old. Yeah.
1: Um in yeah. Yellowstone Park, female bears have been known to, re- to reproduce up to 25 years of age too. Yeah. That yeah, that's crazy, yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, and they're protected there, right? So they they have a lot of protections there and you know, I think Canada some of really more remote places, it's it's a harder harder living than that. Mm-hmm. bears I mean bears 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 so much fun extremely intelligent which is really great because that goes into Bryce Andrews interview I mean we talk about how to it's just listen to the interview read the book get the book it's it's insane how smart these bears are it's insane it's insane how they problem solve
1: yeah it's
0: crazy and, and we talk a little bit about that in the interview on Thursday
1: oh, cool. I think one of the I things love that. that I love that I can't
0: wait yeah oh it's good it's a good one the other thing I really love about bears age is how good they can smell, like how acute, better than dogs, better than hound dogs, probably one of the best mammals in the world for smell.
1: Wow. I guess I didn't really realize it was better than dogs, but man, that's, cause if that's the case, it's, I mean, it's incredible.
0: Yeah. Yeah. They think they have the, the best sense of smell in all the animal kingdom, the
1: most receptors, or something, the most,
0: yeah, uh-huh. they smell a carcass from 20 miles away. It was at 40 kilometers away. Like, So that's why when you go camping and you have food and you're out on the campfire and you're cooking steaks and pork and beans or whatever you're doing, those bears can smell it.
1: I think (laughs) when I go camping with my boys get a little bit older, if I'm going around here, around the Ocala National Park or places local to me, we're going to do Meatless Monday every day that we camp. Yes.
0: But see, they'll smell the berries; they'll still show up. I know
1: that's true. Darling. They're on the Jeez, <laughs> not, can't win. You,
0: you can't. You know that's so where you get bear-proof containers, and when sure. you go into bear country, you've got to be really smart. I've seen bears—not Yellowstone, but Yosemite—here mm-hmm. near me in California. Black bears breaking into cars, like breaking windows, opening doors to get at food.
1: Sure, they call it bear CPR. Actually, <laughs> that's that move oh, okay. when they get on a yeah. canister and pump up oh, and yeah. down, jump up and down yeah. to try to open it. And there's several places either in Yellowstone or Yosemite, I think Yellowstone, that makes containers is CPR proof as possible, basically. So oh, that's crazy. CPR. <laughs> and they that's have, and, and then they try like if okay, if the bear can't get in it within an hour, they'll like give up. And things like that. So, uh, I mean, people are trying to, and I, I loved reading that because it just shows me a really positive signs of how humans are trying to work with cohabitating with bears and how better to reduce that conflict, um, especially between campers and things like that, because the park Absolutely. obviously wants people to come there to view the wildlife and enjoy the natural areas, but at the same time, minimize these smart bears coming in and, and taking things that aren't theirs.
0: Incredibly smart, incredibly intelligent. Then add that they're great swimmers. You know, a lot of people probably have probably seen bear videos of bears swimming, catching salmon. I love like the that.
1: salmon ones. Yeah. Yeah. I
0: know. And then they are incredibly quick and fast and they can reach speeds over to 50 kilometers an hour or 35 miles per hour. But it's not just that, how fast they get running, so faster than
1: Usain Bolt quickly for sure.
0: Oh, you're screwed. I think... You cannot outrun a bear, period.
1: I read somewhere that they can run for a short period as fast as horses, but I don't think that's true.
0: The world record for a thoroughbred racehorse was 44 miles per hour. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, close. Close. So, and that's the fastest of the fast. So, and this is... We haven't seen a bear in being timed or anything, but yeah, they're, they're fast. And it's just, you know, Bryce talks about it. Other people talk about how quickly they can move Mm -hmm. when they want to. Mm -hmm. Now it says, I've read some of this and I guess we can bust a myth right here Mm -hmm. that only young grizzlies can climb trees.
1: No, (laughs) you sent me a video. I sent you that video
0: of a mama bear climbing a tree like it's nobody's mm-hmm. business and she and I've got I will post this on our show notes. I know we say we will post videos. <laughs> I will post this one because I my jaw hit the ground. She trees a black bear that was near her cub. So you watch the video, she sees him, she immediately barks the alarm. The cub takes off in the opposite direction. Like this is all instantaneous and she just charges down this hill. The black bear sees her, climbs this tree. She climbs a tree like it's no, seriously, it, it, it's insane. And then she goes back down and then gets angry again and climbs mm-hmm. right back up it. And she's just knocking branches off left and right. And I was like, Oh my God. If you run mad into- <laughs> mama bear, yes. you don't climb a tree. She'll get yes. you quick. So.
1: Myth number one, yeah. the best way to get away from an aggressive bear is by running. We already nailed that one down. Rongo bongo. Uh, running no. will likely trigger yeah. a chase response and you definitely, you definitely, mm-hmm. potentially even a horse can't out, nope. can't outrun. Not me. A bear, Not right? me. <laughs> and definitely no. they can run fast uphill. And second myth, if you can climb a tree to escape from a grizzly bear, wrongo bongo, uh, they can definitely climb, as Chris mentioned. Um, they will get in trees.
0: And much better than you will be ever climb, ever. Yes,
1: <laughs> so don't do that. And then just really quick, uh, since we're on the topic of myths, um, a great little handy-dandy resource called The Misunderstood Bear by the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Services out of Colorado, and we can put it on our show notes, has some of these myths about grizzly bears. Um, one of the myths is that bears are naturally aggressive towards humans. Uh, that's not true. Uh, as I mentioned from hiking mm-hmm. in the woods, I learned in Glacier National Park that they're more scared of you than you are of them, especially if you make noises and things like that. Uh, aggression only comes as a last resort, usually when they feel threatened. So sing, clap, mm-hmm. dance when you're hiking through the woods and you should probably be fine. Uh, they mm-hmm. can sometimes become aggressive if they've been used to being exposed to human food and garbage as well. So... As Chris mm-hmm. pointed out, wrap your stuff up, block it up. You should be good to go. And then the misunderstood bear also mentions that a bear standing on its hind legs, as I mentioned that I've seen in a lot of the YouTube videos or some of you have maybe seen in the wild, that it's preparing to charge. Well, this is not true. Um, it's actually usually on its hind legs to get a better view or to smell things, Um and being on its hind legs is not really an attack position. An attack position is actually probably being down on its own. Running right. towards you. Yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> really angry. And along the attack line is it's a myth that if a bear huffs or growls or slaps the ground, it's about to attack. Um, threat displays such as snorting, salivating, snapping jaws, body posturing, etc., are meant to communicate dominance like stay away. So they're actually doing this to avoid a fight, not to engage in one. And the last myth is that if a bear does start charging, it's attacking. So bears often bluff charge, and they're trying to scare you away. So it can be difficult to distinguish between a bluff charge and a real charge, I would imagine, as your heart's (laughs) about to explode through your chest.
0: (laughs) Yes, yes.
1: However... However, bluff charges usually occur with a hopping or bouncing motion Mm -hmm. with the bear's head up and hind legs stiff. Mm -hmm. So if it looks more like a bunny hopping, hop charging towards you, hopefully you're okay.
0: Oh, I just don't ever want to run into that. I just don't as much camping as I've done in my life. And, you know, the military charging, you know, walking around the woods, I just don't ever, you know, I just want them to, i want to see them from a distance and admire them.
1: Correct. That is the goal. That's definitely the goal. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And live and let live. The nutrition, really quick, you know, we've already talked a little bit about this, of what they do. They eat a lot, and this will roll well into behavior. You know, bears eat a lot in the warmer months so they can gain weight, and especially coming out in spring, you know, when they come out of hibernation or not. We'll find out here in a second. But from that winter, you know, where they're thin, they're going to eat as much as they can to put weight back on. So prepare for the next winter. So they can eat, you know, 90 pounds of food a day on average, 40 kilograms, and they can gain two plus pounds each day in body weight. That's a lot. Sure.
1: Yeah. Well, and I think it's, yeah. yeah, it's important to point out that they, we think of them as carnivores, but they're not, they're omnivores. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They'll eat almost anything that's nutritious. Mm-hmm. Uh They're after by own heart. The same way.
0: <laughs> You're going to go eat some grubs and worms and yeah, yeah. <laughs> some fungus. Uh,
1: but their, desert, their diet will change, as Chris mentioned, among seasonal availability. And any they eat plant foods, grasses, sedges, roots, mosses, bulbs, fruits, nuts, berries, tubers. Who doesn't like a good tuber? And this is what I found super fascinating. They consume insects, fungi, roots. Uh, they will look for mice, dig for ground squirrels, marmots, and other animals out of their burrows. And this is my favorite,
0: Chris. Mm. What?
1: They love to eat moths.
0: Oh really? I didn't know. That.
1: And- <laughs> That's crazy. Mm-hmm. Okay. Moth lot moth, so M O T H, like the butterflies, but the nighttime ones, moth ones. I need I'm not a bug expert, so I guess I don't even really know the difference between a butterfly and a moth. So, anyways, different pod for a different expert. That people right
0: want now. us to do insects, and I'm like,
1: uh, I know you don't. So on our <laughs> no, comfort zone. you don't. We don't know. Exactly. How about this? You pay me our top Patreon <laughs> price and then we can talk. But okay. until then, it is, I mean, invertebrates were super out of my comfort zone. That jellyfish one took me two weeks to prepare.
0: I know. Two I know. weeks. It's different. Uh, so
1: wait, wait till I'm we get to, <laughs> uh,
0: Supplipod in a few weeks. So we got one coming.
1: I know. I know. Mm. Well, I know. I, I, octopus. I, that, that I will. Yeah. I, whatever. I love that. Yeah. So, cause octopuses would take over the world if they had a backbone. So yeah, we'll, we'll, would, we'll see if would. that's true or not yeah. in a few weeks here. But anyways, moths. So getting back to this, grizzlies love moth larvae. They have been demonstrated as an, an especially important source of protein and fat when they are gaining weight in the fall. Researchers have observed brown bears willing to climb to alpine heights in Montana's Glacier National Park. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Hey, Aaron. Mm-hmm. That's my good girlfriend. Uh, we've hiked all around Glash- Glacier National Park yeah. together. Uh, we hang out still all the time, but they will climb high in Montana's Glacier National Park in order to feast on these flying little appetizers. They can turn over rocks and they'll spend Chris up to 14 hours a day devouring over 40,000 moths.
0: Wow. Who wow. knew? Maybe they're fat, high in fat, maybe. I don't know, you know, because they-
1: protein is what
0: was yeah, read in the and res- in the,
1: mm-hmm. what I was reading about but ha yeah, right so yeah. really really cool they um you know they they're very resourceful and which is really interesting it's probably why they've been quite successful until humans came along right uh but of course they do other big things moose elk sheep mountain goats rotting um, carcasses
0: especially after oh, the yeah, winter oh they're carrion eaters yeah yeah they love it they love it
1: uh-huh and of course salmon as mm. uh Chris has mentioned, and Chris, according to the literature, they have there has been reports of cannibalism among brown bears. So they will eat the carcasses of black bears in Canada. Oh. So they're giving new meaning to "bear bear" world, right? So uh, I think. When we say omnivore, we should probably actually call them opportunistic as well, right? Um,
0: yeah, they, I mean, it's just such a great strategy to survive in the wild, you know, to mm-hmm. to eat as much as they do. And it's, again, it, just, it still amazes me about pandas. Pandas are just all bamboo. <laughs> it's just they've got the carnivore stomach, but they're just – or omnivore stomach.
1: They're,
0: and they they're see, special. They're, they are That's very special. That's the
1: nice way to say it. Yeah, they're the <laughs> cutest button, but – <laughs> they're the way they've evolved is just special, they're a little very bit simple. different so check they're out just it, a little
0: bit different, yeah,
1: yeah, definitely check out those podcasts if you're interested in panda bears, you should be because they're fat i mean besides being adorable um right. Right. to look at don't they're they're they are not not aggressive, so don't go near them, but in the same instance, yeah, their physiology is is striking,
0: yeah, it's very, very different, very, very different, so yeah, so let's talk you know. So, Not just physiology, but some behavior stuff that you ran across specific to, I mean, good about the nutrition stuff. What are some of the other things that they like to do?
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, they're, they are active any time of day. Um, but they're going to generally eat all these random things from carrion to moths to fruit, nuts and berries, um, in the morning or the evening. And then they'll rest sometimes during the day. Uh, they'll also use those powerful claws and um, that hump on their on their shoulder is very muscular because they're such great diggers. So they, yeah. they use their nails, to, they use their claws to dig a lot. And so they'll excavate a shallow depression to lie in during the day when they are napping or at nighttime. And they do travel a lot. Okay. So they've been observed traveling hundreds of kilometers during the autumn to reach these food supplies, whether it's the moths up in the high alpine forest of Glacier National Park or wherever they need to to basically fatten up, right? Um, such as the salmon streams and then areas of high berry production. And when they do make a burrow or a den, they'll usually find like a sheltered slope, maybe use a large stone or roots of a mature tree. They do typically keep these dens from year to year. And the reason these dens or shale depressions are so important is because brown bears or grizzlies basically experience a period of inactivity from October to December, and then they'll resume activity from March to May. With the exact period of this hibernation being mm-hmm. dependent on their location, the weather conditions, the altitude, yeah. and things like that. So, in the southern areas that they live or inhabit, this in a period of inactivity is brief and may not occur at all, depending. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. the reason I'm calling this a period of inactivity, because it is a time for grizzlies to be in a deep sleep, like a hibernation. Mm-hmm. Okay. Their body temperature drops by a few degrees. They don't eat anything. They don't drink any water. They're sleeping, right? Hibernation. But technically, Depending on the location and the altitude and all that, it's not usually a true hibernation because these bears can generally be aroused uh, from this winter sleep.
0: It's what what – what who was it we did? We did a whole thing on hibernation, the physiology behind it. Oh, I'm trying to think of the species we covered 60 species ago. (laughs) One of the ones that we talked about because we called it toper and the other ones. I don't know. Anyway, so it's really not – you're saying it's really not a true hibernation. They don't really – are knocked out for six months. Yeah, and then awaken. I, I, okay.
1: I guess technically, yes, according to hibernation experts or people that study this, which I admittedly so not one of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. We study horses, horses and ungulates. Some of them are seasonal, things like that. But
0: you study yes. rhinos. You study rhinos. They don't hibernate. Yeah,
1: Uh I mean, but the hibernation physiology or this period of inactivity or how, wh- wh- however you want to call it, is. Really fascinating from a physiological point of view, and we should probably dedicate. We should pick another species that does go into a true hibernation, mm-hmm, and maybe mm-hmm. dork out on that for a while because it is, mm-hmm. if you think about it, uh, it's pretty fascinating to be able to not eat or drink or defecate for a while, right? Yeah,
0: I mean, you. Well, I mean, I know in in the south, like squirrels, because we're gonna do squirrels soon for Xander. That was one of his requests. Do squirrels hibernate in the northern you know, in Canada? Those are things we should ask about, you know, ask and look into. Yeah,
1: I feel like in the north you're going to see them out too a little bit in the winter time, but I could be completely wrong. It's been years since I've been hanging out in the woods of Michigan in the winter time. <laughs> well, need to stay tuned for that
0: podcast. So sometime yeah. in 2019 we will get to it. I promise
1: you. <laughs> yeah, but anyhow, so yes, we will. We'll, we'll go into hibernation more in detail, but for for lack of time. Um, focusing on grizzlies is they are typically solitary. So unless it's a, unless it's a mama and her babies, they want to be by themselves. And so that's what makes them happy, right? That's how they, that's how they are. Um, sometimes you'll see them gather in a large, in larger numbers. If it's like a major f- food source, maybe like the salmon run, mm-hmm. um, or you might see one or two mamas with younger foraging cubs and, and that's okay. And they, and they do cross each other's paths, but typically they're going to be, uh, solitary and really the only actual social bonds, mm-hmm. uh, the snuggling and the cuddly stuff that you think of a teddy bear. That's mm-hmm. only going to happen between, um, a female and her young. And Chris, now for one of my favorite parts of the podcast. They're all my favorite, but you know the end.
0: <laughs> uh, no, <laughs> I know. I love never, to do this. never, never. Um, so fun.
1: I do. Well, I actually do really like the end because we go over. I have a great conservation organization this week to talk about, and you've got some great people to talk I got about one too, as well. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, yeah. That that probably is actually my favorite part. So this is my second favorite part. Is, I'm sorry.
0: Evolution is by far my favorite, obviously.
1: I know. Yeah, you're, you're,
0: I love pulling pretty, out these dorky facts. You're like, no
1: way. Yeah. You know,
0: yeah. Uh, uh
1: But no communication, right? Behavior. Right. Yeah. So Yeah.
0: Behavior's your thing. Yeah. That's your yes. thing Yes. Yeah.
1: And to be honest, obviously, I specialize more in ungulates, and mm-hmm. so that's the behavior I'm really familiar with. Mm-hmm. So large omnivores, carnivores, however you want to call them, uh, behavior is is something that this podcast has really opened my eyes about, especially covering mm-hmm. tigers recently. Mm-hmm. Um, I've just, I'm really actually quite drawn to it. I, I uh, maybe it was a, another calling in a previous life to, mm-hmm. to watch mm-hmm. carnivore behavior, but the brown bears are amazing. The way that they communicate, they do it through scent. They do it through body language, which that's where behavior comes in and vocalizations. And when we think of grizzly bears, Standing on their hind legs, about to attack, growling or roaring or however mm, you want to call mm. it. That's an iconic sound. And we'll play a clip here in a second. Everybody would know that as a, oh, no, Snap. moment, right? <laughs> yeah, like, <laughs> oh, my pants just got heavier, right? It was like, my brown pants, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I've got brown pants to match the brown bear. So yeah. everybody would recognize that. But what's really fascinating is... These vocalizations, true vocalizations like that, are actually mm. really rare in grizzly mm. bears. They typically rely more on like what they call non-voice sounds, so moans, grunts, maybe a growl of a mom uh, communicating with her young, uh, sometimes bellowing, things like that, huffing, snorting, a clacking of teeth, a popping sound of the jaw, or blowing air in and out of the nostrils, and all of these different sounds to indicate agitation, aggression, fear, affiliative or like friendly behaviors, if it's a mom and a cub. And I just think that it's really indicative of of how much bear behavior from movies and I'm watching these videos on YouTube, so I'm part of the problem. No, just kidding. Uh, but I think it brings up a really good point of how these vocalizations or how we see them either in movies or portrayed in our deepest, darkest fears as them being so bad and aggressive when really most of their communication is not through these large growls or roars. They're more generally trying to just communicate quietly mm-hmm. and, and, and get the message across. So they're definitely, grizzly bears are definitely misunderstood, I think, by the general pub, I agree. public. I agree. And it basically them just looking at you makes you fearful. And that a lot of times that's obviously not what they are trying to get across. But I'm going to play for you this popping sound that a grizzly will make. And I just think it's really interesting. It's a, a unique way to communicate from a bear.
0: That's a uh, huffing. That huff, huff.
1: Yes, and if you listen closely, uh, if mm-hmm. you play it back, if you're an extreme vocalization dork like Chris and I, but if you play it back, you can—it's the breathing. But then there's also like a like, glug, glug, glug. I'm, boy, I'm horrible at imitating <laughs> sounds. But if there's a click sound in yeah. it almost, uh, which is just just really different, and uh, and for me, just an, uh, goes to show. What a com everybody can imagine what a moan or a grunt sounds like, and of course the uh, the classic right. roar that's in every movie or whatever. Uh, but this sound to me was just they have they have I don't want to use the word language, right? That needs to be proven by scientific right, evidence right. before it becomes a quote unquote language, but they definitely have a complex system of mm-hmm. vocalization that all means something and and so yes, if you do hear this <laughs> popping sound. <laughs> That's pretty much an agitated female. Okay. So (laughs) Oh my gosh. No, I'm just
0: like, oh my god, if I heard that in the wild, I would just
1: Right. That's actually that one you should be more worried about. She's 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 not happy. She's agitated. So uh or or if you're a little grizzly cub, it's kinda like, uh oh, mom's mom's upset. Mm -hmm. Uh but just because but since I played the a little bit lesser known jaw popping sound, I have to compliment that with the iconic roar. Uh probably should have Xander did an actually pretty good job yeah, yeah, yeah. of making this sound. But we probably should have uh opened up with this or maybe you can put this in the front of the podcast. But here we go. <laughs>
0: I guarantee you they use that in movies because I've heard that before and not from a real bear, you know, like monster movies or whatever. They use a grizzly bear roar.
1: Yes. They're all, I think there's a lot the similar one that's uh, around on all the different sites. Uh, this was
0: an
1: outdoor, uh, outdoor kind of DNR type site. Uh, but yeah. So it is, you know, they, but yeah, tons of different teeth clacking, jaw popping, whether it's snorting, grunting, growling. All of it's super impressive, and to also indicate reproductive um,
0: status, status. At, yeah, yeah, where they're at, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So good, is that rolling to repro?
1: Well, sh- I'm glad you asked, Chris. <laughs> I I thought you were and never going to ask me get, to talk about reproduction. Oh,
0: uh, I cannot wait this week. I I mean, I had fun doing penguins because penguins are just so beautiful, and it was just Penguin World Penguin Day. This week I'm going to be posting so many cub pictures on Instagram. <laughs> I'm going to go crazy with it because it's so fun.
1: You should.
0: Like, they're so pretty. They
1: are. Yeah. They're gorgeous. I mean, this nature's perfection, right? Nature's beauty and just incredible. And the way that we get more cubs is through reproduction. And so what happens is typically they're seasonal breeders. So, so grizzlies will typically breed uh, between May and early July uh, mating season, about two and a half months. And researchers believe that a lot of this is indicative of photo period. And so that's how much light is like we, I definitely know coming from Michigan and Florida, we have like daylight savings and the photo period chains, right? Shorter days, daylight in the winter time, longer in the summertime. And so the, when more daylight starts coming in the summertime or around May, June, July, that helps stimulate production of a lot of reproductive hormones. And so in the male, it's going to be testosterone and the female, it's going to be a lot of estrogens. And of course, those are really important hormones for bears to do bear reproductive things. Right? So with a male, it's going to help him actively seek out a female and fight off other competition. And with a female, the estrogen is going to make her also want to seek out male and accept his attention. So I always like to talk about when male and female animal meet, right? The courtship behavior, because it's just fun for me to learn more about these animals, but also to picture humans and and to see if we can relate to any of these courtship behaviors. And so with grizzly bears, I must admit, I don't know if courtship is necessarily the right word to describe um, how he interacts mm-hmm. with a female when he is trying to solicit her for breeding. I feel like it's more just biding his time. And mm-hmm. I think a lot of males in this day and age can actually relate to that. Yeah. Like the good old fashioned days, of courtship of <laughs> opening car doors <laughs> and pulling yeah, out chairs. I, still do, that. I and, still do
0: that. I do that all the time. Well, my time. husband always know. buys
1: me roses. So he definitely does yeah. a lot of courtship. Yeah. So he's not a grizzly bear. Uh But yeah, so no, what the grizzlies do, the males is they basically can recognize when a female is an estrus and is an estrus and showing some receptive behaviors. And so over these hours and days, it can sometimes last one days. It can be up to 10 days. He basically just follows her around. He, and will fight off other males that might come into her territory. And yeah, it's pretty easy to recognize courting pairs as they call them Mm -hmm, because the mm -hmm. male is just following her and he's just persistent and mm-hmm. he will walk behind her he'll shadow her one uh one re- i love it one website described it as like he will shadow her with movements like he has a laser sight affixed to her rump <laughs> on, okay. i don't know why i did it in that voice i don't usually change my voice uh, yeah. just that website was a little ridiculous but it, it did give me a pretty hilarious uh visual on it you, yeah, that uh yeah. and it's not too far from the truth right like um she is uh probably um through her urine excreting some pheromones and of course uh with as you mentioned great smell he can uh, uh probably even understand what her estrous cycle is like and where she's at in her estrus cycle. So uh, I don't think that website's totally off, but I just thought it was hilarious. <laughs> things like that. When you're an animal behavior dork like me, things like that know, will, will keep me, will keep me giggling and Googling till yeah. like wee hours yeah. of the night, right? The
0: morning, yeah.
1: Uh, but yeah, so generally there's not a ton of, uh, cuddly teddy bear romance involved, if you will. Um, and this may last, um, they'll copulate anywhere from like 10 to 30 days. And this is once again in May and July, May through July. And then once the bears breed and the female, uh, becomes pregnant, she experiences what's called delayed implantation or embryonic diapause. And we've talked about delayed implantation before with other, uh, Big cats and obviously polar bears, other bear species, but basically what this is is after fertilization, the embryonic blastocyst exhibit delayed implantation. Uh, but it's been found fa- it's been found across many different mammalian orders. So like seven or eight different orders do it. So we've touched on, like I said, the tiger and the polar bear, uh, a couple others, but it's fascinating folks i think yeah, uh, i mean science. science is so cool why do they do this how do they evolve to do this people still really don't know but yeah. but what it does in the grizzlies is this blastocyst becomes implanted approximately five months after mating
0: mm-hmm.
1: five five months it's just there in suspended yeah, animation yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I kind
1: of just made up that word, uh, but I like it. Suspended, it, yeah, it's yeah, just yeah. it's just there. It's not growing. Yeah. It's not needing nutrients. What? Mm-hmm. I don't. Yeah, where is it just, yeah. just bouncing around the uterus? Like I don't even understand. And and a fee, there might be a couple of them, right, with female grizzlies. Ah, yeah, yeah. And so so typically the blastocyst will implant usually in November when the female has entered her winter sleep. That kind of makes sense, maybe. I don't know. uh. But then the gestation, so the actual growth period of the fetus is six to eight weeks of gestation, of true actual gestation, uh, with birth then occurring in January and March while the female is still in this hibernation phase. So the total gestation time, including the delayed implantation, is 180 to 266 days. And then... When the miracle of life happens, two to three offspring are born per litter. These cubs are born blind, helpless, and naked, and they're teensy-weensy, teensy beansies, teensy, teensy, about 340 to 680 grams. So after all yeah, time, that, yeah, yeah just yeah. crazy. Um, and by three months, the cubs are about 15 kilograms, and by six months, they're about 25 kilograms. Lactation in the female um, will continue from 18 to 30 months long after her cubs are eating berries and moths and carrion and meat and whatever. That's
0: good stuff. Yeah. Uh,
1: uh-huh. um, but the cubs, they do being with such a complex diet and, or communication vocalizations, all that, um, hunting, right. For pre- uh, being a predator, apex predator, the cubs will remain with mother for typically, up to three years, but at least minimally, at least the second spring of their life, sometimes a third mm-hmm, or fourth. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And of course, the male brown bear, the boar, he doesn't mm-hmm. assist with any No, of
0: no, 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 <laughs> no, it's all mom, all
1: mom. So, so that's where, that's where that, uh, that, uh, you know, we, we call different moms here in the United States. She's either a tiger mom or a bear mom. Yeah. I don't know what kind of mom yeah. mom I'm just an Angie mom, but. But yes, uh, a You're bear a mom, mom. But I think it's actually a compliment if you get called a tiger or bear mom because that's a lot, a lot of input and care is going into these cubs to train them, keep them alive, train them, and uh, yeah,
0: yeah, no, they're amazing. I mean, they're amazing moms, amazing species. The conservation status, uh, fortunately, right now least concern, but we have captured how they've been decimated in the last 100 years. So How just, are
1: they least concerned with only like maybe 1,500 because, being in?
0: Well, in the U.S., so in the U.S., they're protected by the Endangered Species Act. We'll save the, the debate in conservation news, what's going on in the politics here, but overall throughout the globe. I mean, obviously, remember IECN, they have to prioritize these animals too.
1: Sure. Good there's point, a, Chris. There's a
0: 110,000 in the world, which is nothing. You're talking Northern Hemisphere. That, so they're stable. The, the populations are stable. So they're doing okay now, but still a highlight on a species that, you know, drastically was reduced, uh, due to human activity. Now I know Angie has an organization. I've got one. People in carnivores. I'll let Angie go first and then I'll touch upon mine real quick because it's, it's Bryce Andrews, you know, and, and kind of I'll talk about what they're doing in Montana.
1: Yes, Chris. I'm very excited this week to highlight the Grizzly Bear Foundation out of Vancouver. One of the most beautiful cities in the world. I've heard it was one of my, my, yes, my late father is. had traveled. It- extensively and vancouver one my was one of his favorites so i've got to get there and you mm-hmm. say also this oh
0: it's beautiful and our good friend jonathan uh, lives I up there I need- british columbia is probably one of the most beautiful places on earth period
1: i know so i really it's it's definitely on my bucket list and but but for those of you in the area um check out grizzly bear foundation right they are awesome uh they're dedicated to the long-term survival and the well-being of the grizzly bear which of course is a keystone species. And they focus on three important tiers of being research, public education, and conservation. So the Grizzly Bear Foundation publishes a lot of information about the history, ecology, and conservation and management and economic impacts of grizzly bears. And these reports provide recommendations to ensure a viable future for cannabis canada's grizzly bears so it's really important and then for education they build a community of grizzly bear advocates that share facts and articles and videos so of course it's one of it's like a sister organization to us right that's what we do we're mm-hmm, educators mm-hmm, here at mm-hmm, all creatures podcasts mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. they also develop grizzly bear education units for elementary schools and making sure that young people are aware of the awesomeness and conservation issues facing grizzly bears. And lastly, for conservation, uh, grizzly bear foundation has a ton of different areas that they support both in the local level. And then of course, at the level of the province to conserve these guys in the wild and help keep their populations healthy. And so you can check out their website. It's wonderful. Well done. they have a lot of amazing bear facts on there. And so you can find the Grizzly Bear Foundation at grizzlybearfoundation.com or on Facebook. And they have a really neat program called Grizzly Guardian that you can get involved in. And if you do live near Vancouver, Jonathan, Mm -hmm. um, uh, (laughs) and you need a date, they have a uh, (laughs) Night of the Grizzlies, which is in September. And it's a gala fundraiser to, of course promote, uh, uh, bear awareness and conservation of these iconic species. So, yeah. Just a really yeah. good group.
0: Yeah, I know. I know. It's, they're, they're, oh, Angie, again, this is why I'm going to be pushing conservation optimism. It, it's been trending on Instagram now, and, and I really subscribe to it. That, yeah, it's, it's, you know, we paint this bleak picture. But there's people out there working hard each and every day. That has been so eye opening since we started this podcast. it has been so eye opening. It has,
1: and really, there's only been a few species that have let me down. Hippos being one of them. And so
0: hippos, yeah. uh, I don't know. Me and
1: John, we've got to do something for those giant hippos. Love them. I know. And they're in trouble. I
0: know. They are. They are. So the the what I wanted to cover is people and carnivores. This is author Bryce Andrews' work, what he's doing in Montana. Um, you know, you listen more about his story, how he kind of gave up his job, what he was doing to fight, and, how, and and he doesn't like the word fight, but you know how he puts it is find solutions on how to get people in these carnivores to get along. So it's 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 a wonderful organization, uh, a small organization, but out in the field working with the local population and protecting these animals in Montana that we can learn from them, like especially the stuff he was doing in, in describing in this book. We learn from that and then export it throughout the country, throughout the world. So check out peopleandcarnivores.org. We'll have the link up there. You know, they're working hard out in the field. Again, a, a smaller organization that's growing and, and needs our love and support. So check them out. Now, Angie, really quick before I get to what to do, if you see in the bear, is conservation tip of the week. Trying to think what could affect bears the most, and again we're on this climate change thing. So that you, know, one of the things that we don't do, especially you know people with kids, and we have all these video game systems things turned on. Whenever you leave a room, if you ever see those light, little green lights, usually it's 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 red or green, and that's some device like say a Nintendo Switch or something or a Xbox TV stereo whatever. That means they're still on and drawing power. Yeah. So they're still burning power. So you really should just unplug them or mm-hmm. find a way. Like if, if you have a power strip, just turn off the power strip, Yeah. power down your computer, and then just switch off the power strip.
1: Absolutely. We had this Boom. talk just recently yeah. in our house because our uh, consumer, our power bill is going up. And so we're trying to strategize what little things can we do uh, better to reduce it. And that is definitely one of them. Those little lights on just things yeah. you wouldn't even think about. Um, right. The Electronics Coffee maker, electronics, coffee yeah. maker yeah. Yeah. uh yeah, you never know DVD players uh, uh-huh. VCRs I don't think anybody Has those anymore <laughs> The beta
0: tapes or, I yeah. suppose <laughs> the 80s, what was the 70s. No, it was the, we inherited, the we inherited
1: one, oh geez, about three or four moves ago, so probably 10 years ago, yeah. that is a VC, I still have a VCR DVD combo. Oh, yeah, it's awesome. But we that's only a, play DVDs, awesome. so, but yeah, yeah, yeah no, but, the, but that light will yeah, be on awesome. sometimes, and it's yeah. just a good, like, just turn it all off, like, go all the way through yeah. it, so. no, that's If a- you
0: do that, you can save 10%. Yeah. You shave off 10% that's of your power. That's a great one, Chris. Right there. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there you go. So that's very simple and to use. Okay, let's get to bears. Bears in the wild. What happens if you run into a bear? Things like that. Okay, you don't run, open up.
1: You don't climb a tree.
0: Boom. No, absolutely not. Your chance of getting attacked attacked by a bear is very rare. One in two point two million. So in North America, three people per year are killed by bears. Okay. So less Again, than 15, cows. Yes, cows were like twenty six per year are killed by cows in the United States. 15 people a year are killed by dogs. You have a greater chance of being killed by a bee sting than a bear. Okay. Bears want to avoid us if they can. Now I will say brown bears are more dangerous than polar or black bear encounters. Those lead to, to worse injuries. When a bear attacks, it lasts less than three minutes. And what they're doing usually is to reduce a threat. They're not trying to kill or eat you they just see you as a threat. They want to reduce you and run off to be safe. So the best thing anybody can do if you're in bear country is get bear mace. They sell it everywhere now. Reading it, you should know how to use it. So you should practice with bear mace, especially if you're out there in, in the wilds. Also wear it on the front of your belt. You don't want to be fumbling for it, you know, all nervous. And like you said, brown pants, all that stuff. You want to be able to get to it. And it's very effective. They said it's like 92% effective wow. in wearing off mm-hmm. a bear attack. Yeah. But it happens so quickly. So you have to be able to know how to use it and use it well. Quickly. And that was the
1: thing, Chris, when I, uh, moved to Chicago in my early twenties after college, I had mace because I was kind of a country girl. So I'm like, Oh, I'll get mace. And then, but after a while, I realized I, it's just safer for me to travel with my big dog because
0: big friends. Yeah. <laughs> my, yeah big, big my big too, yeah. <laughs>
1: furry dog that wouldn't do anything, but he yeah. looks tough, uh, because if any with the mace I would have in my purse, which you brought up a great point having it in the front of your belt, because I didn't know I wasn't, I wasn't educated on how to use it or how to store it. And so I'd be like, Oh, excuse me, Mr. Robber. I have, I have to dig into my black hole of a purse, find the mace, get it out, take the cap off, learn how to use it, not squirt myself, squirt you. So Mm -hmm. I just, uh, if I was going out in the evening, um, And and precarious neighborhoods, I would just take my dog.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I know. It's true. It's true.
1: But I love that idea of have, yeah, yeah, of practicing with it, but also carrying it in the front. That's really clever.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So you can get to it. The, what you should do is slowly walk away, keep your eyes on them, uh, make loud noises. So do you back up then
1: or you turn your back? Back
0: up and you know, back up to the side and make loud noises and reduce the threat.
1: Do you look at them or do you look away?
0: You look at them. It's not like, like gorillas. Gorillas you never look at. Right, okay. little, you know, bears, you, you want to watch them. Okay. Now, this is no when to play dead. So if they do charge you and attack you, which God forbid anybody listens to podcast, I, you know, it's never going to happen. I'm going to manifest that never happening to you, but what they say you should do is then you play dead. Okay. When the bear attacks you, if it's a black bear, they said try to fight it, but if you're losing, lay on your stomach, cover the, you know, because you want to protect your vital organs, clasp your hands on the back of your neck, protect your neck, and pull up your knees. And at this point, the bear should give up and leave. If it's a grizzly, you do not try to defend yourself. You just do that and lay flat on the ground. You know, and I heard that, like the bear may try to flip you, you just roll with it and flip and stay on your stomach. You know, cover your neck and just, and then you play dead, and usually the bear should give up. You know, you're going to be messed up, but at least hopefully not dead. But it's very rare people. It's so rare. It's just, it's extremely rare. So other than that, you know, just respect them from a distance. Go to Yellowstone, support them, support these organizations, you know, people. Protect your food. Be
1: smart about your food. Be smart about hiking, hike in large groups, sing. Camp songs, uh we, we made up some song about hiking in the woods, off we go and we just were loud <laughs> the, we were just loud the whole time.
0: <laughs> yeah, and they do, and they wanna avoid people. They generally want to avoid people. Sure. So they don't uh they don't seek us out and they don't see us as a food source. All right. So for us, again, check us out on Patreon. You know The links are in the show notes, Instagram, All Creatures Podcast, Facebook, All Creatures Podcast. And if you can, remember to leave us an iTunes review. We will love you forever. And thank you for those that have.
1: Yes. We love you.
0: And we're going to be back next week. We've got a, such an amazing lineup. So many interviews done in the can, already ready to go, and more on the way.
1: Yes. It's really exciting times here at All Creature Podcast. And thank you. You guys are our conservation heroes. You're the ones that motivate me to get up and work on the podcast while my kids are still sleeping and to stay up late on the podcast when my kids yep. finally do go to bed. So uh, keep the encouragement and support coming because that's definitely helps ignite my fire and it takes mm-hmm. a village, right? Um, yep. It takes it does, all it does, of us, all of us working with our different parts. It's wonderful if you happen to be a conservation field expert working out in the wild. Mm. That's me ama- I I'm envious. I love that. Keep doing that. But there's a million other roles and for those of us that aren't able to uh, work out in the wild directly hands-on conservation, there's a lot of hands-off conservation we can do by just sharing this message and educating people and and trying to get that one person to to learn and fall in love with a species because if you know nature you're more likely to protect it, right? So share this podcast with friends and family, and uh, we love you and we thank you. Yep, thank
0: you. Listen, learn, share. Join the movement at allcreaturespod.com.